four seconds. Holloway went to the floor, to the rim. Oh, got it! 2 Hall Ball, Seton Hall Men's Basketball Podcast for the fans, by the fans. I'm your host, Anthony. On today's episode, we're going to recap Seton Hall winning three out of their last four non-conference games to finish with an 8-4 record going into Big East play where they have a matchup with the Providence Friars Saturday at 12.30 at the Prudential Center. First, we're going to recap Seton Hall's loss at Kansas. Kansas routed Seton Hall 91-65. Kadari Richmond had 17 points for Seton Hall. was really aggressive on offense, taking the ball to the rim. Really looked like he belonged out there with a Blue Blood Power 5 program. Tyree Samuel had 16 points as well for Seton Hall. Now in this game, Dre Davis was out for the Pirates. Dre Davis has been really big for Seton Hall in all their games against major Division I opponents thus far. Dre Davis has really played well, scoring double-figure points each game. Now, Kansas had all five starters in double figures, led by McCullers and Wilson, who both had double-doubles. Kansas is a really good team. Playing at uh, Allen Fieldhouse is nearly an impossible task. Seton Hall was in the game early until about the uh, second media timeout, and then Kansas took double-digit lead into halftime and really never relinquished or never looked back. Ended up routing Seton Hall 91-65. Seton Hall then returned back to South Orange to host Division II Lincoln on campus and Walsh Gymnasium. There was no Kadari Richmond, no Dre Davis, and no Trey Jackson in this game for Seton Hall. Game was very close in the first half. The final score was 82-65, but the game was much closer than that. Lincoln hung in with Seton Hall for most of the game, and Lincoln actually led for a majority of the first half in this game. For Seton Hall, Tyree Samuel had a double-double with 16 points, 14 rebounds. Casey and Defo had 17 points for the Pirates. Alamir Dawes, 16 points. Now in this game against Lincoln, it was good for Seton Hall. They got their freshmen some extended minutes. Tay Davis had 10 points and 7 rebounds for Seton Hall. Jaquan Sanders had 11 points, hitting a few three-pointers. His shot looked really good. It was nice to see some of the freshmen get more minutes as the competition level Went down a little bit. It's hard to get these guys extended run against teams like Kansas or Memphis. But it was nice to see these guys get some minutes because as we uh, are going to get to later in the podcast with uh, some injuries after the uh, Seton Hall-Drexel game last night, Seton Hall's rotation is going to be thin. So a guy like Jaquan Sanders, if he's able to go, he, he's going to be rel- relied upon now to play some more minutes than expected. Now, the big game, Seton Hall versus Rutgers for the Garden State Hardwood Classic Trophy. 
Seton Hall owns this series and some things don't change. Seton Hall defeated Rutgers in an ugly low scoring game, 45 to 43 at the rack, which is another really hard place to play. And the important thing, not only for Seton Hall beating a state rival, which comes with, you know, recruiting, bragging rights and all that. This was the second Quadrant 1 win for Seton Hall. Seton Hall beating Memphis in the ESPN Invitational. That was their first Quadrant 1 win. And winning a true road game at the Rack, which is a really hard place to play. Just ask Indiana, who's a top 15 team who lost to Rutgers last week. Seton Hall was able to go in there, pull off their second Quadrant 1 win, and they are one of 18 teams in the country who can say that they have two Quadrant 1 wins on their resume. Now, Sheehan Holloway, when he was asked about the outlook of Seton Hall's non-conference play. Um, he wasn't totally dissatisfied with an 8-4 and four record. He would have liked 9-3. and three. Obviously, the Siena game was a game Seton Hall should have won. And I think if Seton Hall beats Siena, you look at their non-conference record and are, are pretty happy, actually, with where they would be at. They would have no bad losses and two Quadrant 1 wins on their resume. I, I mean, at, at this point, the loss to Siena, it, it does hurt. It may hurt. Obviously, if Seton Hall is on the bubble at the end of the year, but they should have more opportunities to pick up Quadrant 1 wins. It's just, honestly, right now with this team, it's a matter of how they're playing. You started to see the Rutgers game, the Drexel game, that they've started to play better. Some more guys are buying in. But Seton Hall defeats Rutgers 45-43. Dre Davis made his return for Seton Hall, and as I said earlier, he's vital to this team. So far this season, as I stated, in all these games against really quality competition, he... He scores double figures, which is so important. He can get to the rim. He has a big body. He plays good defense. He can shoot. He's really been an added boost coming off the bench for Seton Hall. And as we get towards the end of this podcast, I want to talk about some different lineup combinations and why he needs to be in the starting lineup, or if not starting, needs to be playing majority of the game with a certain combination of guys, which seem to work, especially in the Rutgers game. And we'll get into that in a second. But Casey and Defo had a really big game for Seton Hall. He had nine points, eight rebounds. But most importantly, down the stretch, had a really big block against Cliff Amore, the Rutgers center, who's a first-team All-Big East caliber, sorry, All-Big Ten caliber player. Now, Cliff Amore has been dominant for Rutgers, was dominant last year, obviously was highly touted by his own league being on um, on the All-Team coming into the season. And he's really Rutgers' main focal point. And for Seton Hall, who lacks size, Cliff Amore is 6'11", 7 foot. And the fact that Indefo and Samuel and these guys are really able to uh, bother him down low and make sure that he didn't have his way with us, giving us a chance to win was so important. And that block down at the end of the game was pivotal for Seton Hall, where Indefo went up, blocked Amore, Seton Hall got the ball back, and Seton Hall was able to hang on down that stretch and win by two points in an ugly game. Alamir Dawes had eight points for Seton Hall, but hit a big three. Shaheen Holloway actually comes out on the court, daps him up after he hits the shot. So you could see how much it meant to Holloway, the rivalry, obviously him playing in it, him coaching in it as an assistant under Willard and now coaching as the head coach against Steve Peichel and Rutgers. It means a lot. It's a big rivalry game. Rutgers always seems to make it um, mean more than Seton Hall in terms of, for whatever reason, they've always played up the rivalry is something bigger than it is. Maybe because, you know, the past few years, um, Rutgers really hasn't been a relevant program with the exception of the last two years. This is probably the first time in a long time that I can remember the win actually benefiting Seton Hall in terms of them picking up a Quadrant 1 win. In the past, when Seton Hall was playing Rutgers at home with those Isaiah Whitehead teams, Keen Carrington teams, 
if Seton Hall lost that game, it would hurt the resume. It wasn't picking up a quadrant one win. So that's what I mean where the game kind of means more to Rutgers. I, I think Seton Hall obviously wants to beat Rutgers as an in-state rival, but they look more to like Villanova or some of these better caliber teams over the past. But Rutgers now has put themselves in a nice position where they've been successful the last two years. And uh, that seems to be their trajectory moving forward. So the rivalry should definitely be fun with Pykele over at Rutgers and Holloway at Seton Hall. And the fact that Rutgers is now relevant where they haven't been in the past. But this was a huge win for Seton Hall. And the key was now, is Seton Hall going to carry over this momentum into Drexel, which was a sandwich game in between a rivalry and their Big East opener on Saturday? Well, to answer that question, Seton Hall came out against Drexel, pretty much dominated the game. We're up by 30. Um... Midway through the uh, the second half, ended up winning by 17. At the under four timeout, Drexel was able to cut it to 11. But it was never really a game. Seton Hall got out, jumped on him right away. Trey Jackson had a big game for Seton Hall off the bench with 12 points. Dre Davis added 12 points off the bench as well. Kadari Richmond finished with eight points, nine rebounds. Now, in this game, you had two injuries for Seton Hall, which I alluded to earlier. Femi Odakali got hurt. He had a boot on his left ankle. Not sure the severity of the injury, but from where I sit, right by the bench, he came out of the locker room with a boot on his left ankle. Um, Jaquan Sanders, a freshman guard who we talked about earlier with his game against Lincoln and his three-point shooting, he went down in this game with a groin injury. Not sure the severity of that as well. He did not come back into the game after injuring his groin, but he was moving around on the sideline a little bit gingerly, but hopefully after a few days... He'll be good to go because now with the injury to Femi Odakali, Seton Hall's a little late at guard. And essentially right now they're looking at an eight-man rotation. Um, so you would have to have to think that Jaquan Sanders is going to have an opportunity here to play, play some minutes. I mean, obviously you haven't seen him play against Kansas or Memphis, some of these uh, more higher caliber teams. But with the guard depth now being an issue and Holloway's tendency to like playing multiple guards at once, you would think that this would be an opportunity for him. And he's been a guy who's shown that if he can get open, he can knock down an open shot, which has been an issue for Jameer Harris and some of Seton Hall's other shooters. Jameer Harris had a good good season last year shooting-wise, but he's, he's been off to a little bit of a slow start so far this year. He's obviously a capable shooter. He's done it at this level. But right now he's struggling, and Seton Hall has done a good job, specifically the last two games, and specifically against Rutgers, of getting Harris and Dawes open threes. They had countless, countless open looks for Alamir Dawes and Jameer Harris at the rack against Rutgers, and Seton Hall just wasn't able to cash in on them, which the first shot of the game that Seton Hall made against Rutgers was Alamir Dawes hitting a step-back three, which was a difficult shot. And then when they got him a few times off of a curl... He wasn't able to knock him down, but he did make a really big three in that game when Kadari Richmond penetrated to the basket, basically threw the ball behind his back to Dre Davis, who pump faked, made that extra pass into the corner, and Dawes hits that three that gets Holloway out on the court to dap him up and really gave Seton Hall momentum. But the point is, people were a little skeptical about the play calling that you saw with Holloway. They're like, oh, how come we haven't seen the play calling that he used at St. Peter's? Well, you're seeing it. These guys are getting open looks, especially against Rutgers, especially against Drexel. He's getting a lot of his shooters open looks. They're just not converting. And that is where this is going to be a, become a problem moving forward. It's already been a problem 
this season. I mean, you've seen certain games like the Siena game where they're missing layups and foul shots, but when you're not knocking down open looks and you're trying to play games that are in the 40s and 50s, there's not many college basketball games at the Division One level that are going to end with a team winning, scoring 45 points like Seton Hall did at Rutgers. Now, Seton Hall's calling card is going to be their defense, and that's fine. But they're going to have to score more than 45 points. So where are they going to get their scoring from? They need guys like Jameer Harris and Almir Dulles to knock down open threes. I think you've seen from the Kansas game on, you've seen a more aggressive Kadari Richmond against Kansas. He basically was just driving to the rim at will and finishing or getting fouled. Dre Davis, every time the kid comes off the bench, he's able to get into the lane, make tough shots around the rim. Every game so far in this stretch that he's been back, the Rutgers game, the Drexel game, you see this kid get fouled and have an N1 where he finishes and then makes a foul shot. He's a big body. He knows how to use his body down low. He's aggressive. The kid needs to be on the floor. Now, if you watch this game against Rutgers, Seton Hall's best group of five on the floor is Kadari Richmond at point guard, Alamir Dawes at the two, Dre Davis at the three, Casey and Defo at the four, and Tyree Samuel at the five. It gives you your shooter in Dawes. It gives you two guys who can drive and attack the basket in Kadari Richmond and Dre Davis. And Dre Davis is also a pretty good shooter. He's shown the ability to knock down threes. He's knocked down threes in every game he's played in. He has a nice-looking jump shot, and he's a threat because now – that teams know that he can drive to the basket and shoot. They're going to have to respect it. They're going to play off him a little bit and give him more opportunities. He doesn't force shots. He's a smart player. He takes smart, open, uncontested threes where you have some other guys who just want to go out there and shoot him. But that's your best five. You can't have, and I've said this on multiple podcasts, you cannot have Jameer Harris and Alamir Dawes play together. They're basically both catch and shoot shooters. That's what they are. Jameer Harris cannot get into the lane and get to the basket. He either gets blocked or just turns the ball over. Dawes is small, so he has a hard time getting to the rim once he gets in there and it's clogged. But he does at least have the ability to create some space with his jump shot and looks fluent in doing that and knocking the shot down. Jameer Harris does not look comfortable on a step back or being able to create his own space for a jump shot. So, as stated earlier, that's your five. Now... In the game against Drexel, you could see Holloway gets frustrated with Richmond. Richmond looks like almost like he's lost sometimes defensively, especially on screens. There were a few instances with him or Trey Jackson and Samuel getting confused on screens, leaving guys from Drexel wide open to knock down shots. And you can see how frustrated Holloway gets, throwing up his hands. Richmond had some, some bad turnovers in the Drexel game too. And you could see Holloway... Really just looking at him and, you know, giving him that look like, you know, like, come on, man, like, what are you doing? And you could see, you could see Richmond frustrated. So the dynamic to the, the dynamic between the coach and the player is hard to figure out here because Kadari Richmond's not a guy who really shows much emotion as it is. Um, but Holloway is hard on these guys. I think, like, like we said earlier, Kadari Richmond coming into the year was second team all Big East. That was the expectation. I think Holloway knew Kadari Richmond was going to take Seton Hall where they needed to go if they were going to go anywhere. So Holloway's trying to hold Richmond to a higher standard. Now, some kids can be coached hard and respond to that criticism and just play better. I I don't know if Kadari Richmond is capable of that. I mean, you've seen 
him have some solid games over the last four, but him and Trey Jackson magically just don't play against Lincoln? Was that them getting benched for whatever reason? Because then after the Drexel game, Holloway made comments about the immaturity of some of his upperclassmen. Well, that's pretty much directed at Trey Jackson and Kadari Richmond. So it's it's a matter of is Kadari Richmond going to buy into what Holloway wants to do? If he does buy in, is it going to be too late? I mean, he played well. He had six deals against Rutgers. He played, even though he didn't score that much against Rutgers, he was a presence on the floor. And Kadari Richmond at six foot six, bigger body, he's a guy who could be a very capable defender, especially on guards. Because he's a very big guard and he can switch off and guard multiple positions. Now, him and to me, Kadari Richmond and Dre Davis are the keys to this team. When you look at Kadari Richmond, he's the type of kid with talent who could play anywhere in the country. It's just the ability for him to consistently display that talent and play a carefree, turnover-free, aggressive style of play where he's able to get his guy's shots and himself shots. Because when Kadari Richmond goes to the basket, he's very hard to stop. The problem with Kadari Richmond is he turns the ball over too much. And sometimes he almost looks hesitant because I think at this point, I mean, now he's not starting the last two games he hasn't started, but I think also he was getting pulled very early in some of Seton Hall's games earlier in the year if he had a few mistakes early. I think the key for him is they have to let him play carefree because the talent, his talent is so, is so different than the other guys on the team that you have to be able to live with some of his mistakes because of what he can do for you on the floor. I mean, he had a Euro step layup against Drexel where he goes up with his left. I mean, it's a move that not many guys on their team can make. He's, he's the type of guy, I mean, he went out there and scored 17 points against Kansas. Uh, besides him, yeah, Tyree Samuel had 16 points, but nobody else really showed up. Dre Davis was out that game. But there's only a few guys on this team that you were like, yeah, these guys could start at other schools. Kadari Richmond's one of them. I know it just hasn't been consistent on an every game basis, and that's what you need. But you have to kind of go through some of the pains because he's really your only shot. Him and Dre Davis are going to carry this team. Seton Hall is undersized, so getting Alexis Yetna back, if he does come back at some point and Seton Hall is still in contention to make – Somehow the NCAA tournament or a fringe bubble team, yeah, he's, he's also an important factor. But Seton Hall's issue is lack of scoring. Kadari Richmond is a guy who can create shots for others because he's going to draw multiple defenders when he gets in the lane. And he's also a guy who can just score. You've seen him do it against big-time teams last year and this year. The Connecticut game last year, he won them that game by himself. He dominated that game. He had 30 points. He backed down R.J. Cole the entire game and took him to the basket. And then when UConn started to double him finally later in the game, he started kicking the ball out to open shooters. He is the type of player who can take over a game. Who else on the Seton Hall team can you say can do that? Maybe Dre Davis, but really nobody else. So the point is, is that he has to... Be a focal point. He played 30 minutes against Rutgers because he played well defensively. So now you're starting to see Holloway 
give him more minutes. Now, Kadari Richmond against Drexel last night, he didn't start. He came off the bench again. Femi Odakali started, but now Femi Odakali is hurt. So you would have to think that Kadari Richmond is going to start. It doesn't even matter if he starts. It matters the amount of minutes that he plays. And like I said earlier, against Rutgers, with Richmond on the floor, Davis on the floor, Dawes and Defo and Tyree Samuel, that was their best combination. I wanted to see it more. Against Drexel, you really didn't see that combination last night. He likes putting Kadari Richmond and Trey Jackson together. He has them coming as the first two guys off the bench into the game. Trey Jackson offensively is a nice player, but he leaves a lot to be desired defensively. He's very athletic, but he's very small, and he's not strong around the rim at all on offense or defense. But defensively against bigger teams, I mean, Drexel had a... uh, had a solid big last night, and basically that big was able to get position whenever he wanted against Seton Hall's big, specifically Trey Jackson, who fouled out of the game, um, which shows you he had a hard time defending a bigger player from a lower-level Division One school. I mean, Drexel is in um, the Atlantic 10, which, which isn't a bad conference by any means, but it's not one of your Power 5 conferences, and he had a hard time dealing with that big. And it's only going to get harder moving into Big East play. But the point with Jackson is he has a ton of offensive ability, but he leaves a lot to be desired defensively. And at six foot eleven, I know he doesn't want to play center. Well, he needs to, and that's Holloway's point. Holloway's point with him is he told him before the season, "We're going to play you at multiple positions. You're going to play the three, the four, and the five because they know he can shoot. He can do things offensively, but." Their lack of size and lack of depth down low makes him a necessity to play down there. And he has to play stronger. But again, Seton Hall's best group of five, and it showed in the Rutgers game against good competition in an ugly game, is Richmond, Dawes, Dre Davis, Casey and Defo, and Tyree Samuel. And it's not even it's really not even close. That that's their best five. If they need Need some more adding scoring. You're going to bring Jackson in. Jackson's a better shooter than Samuel, but Samuel at least can score down low. Samuel can shoot also, but Jackson is the better shooter. But, okay, yeah, if you're going to interchange them at some point, that's fine. But then you're you're leaving a lot to be desired when Jackson's in on the defensive side. Now, Seton Hall, as we said, has finished the non-conference schedule with an 8-4 record. The one game, looking back, that they should have won was the Siena game. I think we'd all be happy right now if Seton Hall was 9-3 going into Big East play. At 8-4, I'll take it because I didn't expect Seton Hall to win at Rutgers with how they've been playing. And I think you're starting to see, even though the team is still struggling to score, you're starting to see them play a little bit better collectively. Um, Richmond's going to end up playing a lot of minutes now. They're going to, they only have an eight-man rotation. So even when Richmond, or even if Richmond is in the doghouse, which it seemed like he was earlier in the year, because as I said, he'd start and then he'd get pulled really quick and then wouldn't come back in for a little bit or whatever. But at this point, you're really running with eight guys. You're running with Richmond, Dawes, Harris, Dre Davis, Tay Davis, and Defo, Tyree Samuel, and Trey Jackson. Now, if Jaquan Sanders, his groin injury isn't too bad. I, I don't I don't know at this point if it's going to keep him out. Um, it's, we're just knowing that it's a groin injury. 
if he's able to go, I mean, he wasn't playing against their higher caliber opponents, but at this point, he may have to give you a few minutes a game until you get Odakali back from his ankle sprain. We don't know the degree of that either, but or how much time he's going to miss. But he may he may have to get a little bit of a run. So right now, Seton Hall is a little thin rotation wise. You're going to see eight guys play, and I, what is going to help Seton Hall in this regard is that Holloway is really big on conditioning. You saw how Kadari Richmond came into the season. He came into the season in better shape. And Holloway really preached that with his guards specifically because he demands so much out of his guards where he wants to play three guards most of the game anyway. So he needs their conditioning to be at an extremely high level. So I'm not overly concerned with that. I think with Odakali, though, you are going to miss a guy who plays good defense. Um, his scoring has left a lot to be desired so far this year. I expect a little bit of more, a little bit more offensively from him, but he is a guy who has shown the ability to get to the basket, but he plays really hard defensively. Um, the only problem, again, with Seton Hall, they were trying to start Odakali with Richmond and either Dawes or Harris earlier in the year, and that combination just didn't seem to work. I mean, Odakali is not a shooter, so you'd have him and Richmond trying to drive to the basket with really two bigs down there and one guy who could shoot. I think, as I stated earlier, and I'm going to keep really pounding this point home, that group of five of Richmond, Dawes, Dre Davis, and Defo and Samuel, at least you have Dawes, who's a shooter, Dre Davis, who can step out and shoot. And he's honestly, I feel better about him shooting right now than Jameer Harris. Jameer Harris is a capable guy, but he's looked really off. And I think at, at this point, you really shouldn't be playing Alamir Dawes and Jameer Harris together. Um, I think Dawes has to be the guy at the two. I think Dawes gives you, gives you more more options offensively. He's better at creating his own shot, better at getting to the basket. And you can obviously have Jameer come in and play minutes for Alamir Dawes and hopefully knock down some shots if he's open. He just hasn't shown the consistency from behind the three-point arc yet. But at least with Dawes and Davis, you have two guys who you should feel pretty comfortable with knocking down shots. And you have Dre Davis who against their best opponents has scored double figures each time and has shown the ability to finish strong around the basket. So I think that's the five that should see the most minutes together. You're obviously going to interchange Samuel for Trey Jackson at points in the game as well, especially when you want a little bit more offensively. But Seton Hall, even in the Drexel game too, they jumped out early and had a big lead, but... They they really didn't score too many points in the second half. And that's that's the problem with this team. They they play very hard defensively, but there's just there's not that much confidence. And if Seton Hall plays a team and it's gonna be a game in the 70s, is Seton Hall gonna win that game? Like I, I have a hard time seeing them getting to 70 points in a game. They're going to have to win ugly games in the low 60s where they hold their opponent to 60, 62 points. And that's not a that's not an easy task at all. Now, Seton Hall this Saturday opens up Big East play with Providence. Now, my opinion, Providence, obviously, last year they went to the Sweet 16. They won the Big East regular season. I think Ed Cooley's a really good coach, but they lost a ton of guys from last year's team. They do return Bynum, the guard. But their best player is Kentucky transfer Bryce Hopkins. 15 points, 8 rebounds a game. They also bring back Croswell from last year. 
who's a big 11, 11 points per game, six rebounds. Now, if Seton Hall is able to stop Hopkins or just minimize what he can do, because I do think the kid is super talented and he's going to be a hard matchup for our bigs down low. Um, but if Indefo is able to stop him, Indefo, Samuel, that combination is able to stop him, Seton Hall should win this game at home. Even, even with Femi, if he's out with an eight-man rotation, Seton Hall should still win this game. Now, they have three guards in Bynum, who's at nine points per game. Locke, the transfer from Louisville, at 10 points per game, and Carter at 11. But I, I've seen Providence play a few times this year. They, they're not, with the exception of Bryce Hopkins, they're not overly impressive. Um, to me, Bynum is just a guy who, yeah, if he's open, more like a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, he's not overly fast. He's small. He's not going to really kill you getting to the rim or, or kind of fake guys out and, and draw too many fouls. He should be somebody who Richmond or Dawes, that they should be able to contain these guards. I think it's going to be an ugly, low-scoring type of game, the type of game that Seton Hall wants. Seton Hall, like, like I said earlier, does not want games that are going to get into the 70s or more high-scoring games. They want ugly games like the Rutgers game where they're going to be able to impose their will defensively play gritty, physical, and and hold teams down into the lower 60s if possible. Because that's a game, if Seton Hall is able to do that and stick to that plan, that I feel comfortable with Seton Hall being able to win. Now, moving forward, the key for Seton Hall and, and previewing the Big East uh, real fast, obviously Connecticut is the clear-cut best team in the league. Connecticut's one of the best teams in the country. And Seton Hall, when they have to play UConn down the road, they're going to have a really hard time with Adama Sanogo and the freshman big for Connecticut. They're just very good. They have size. They have good shooting. Uh, Danny Hurley is going to do big things with Connecticut. And we all knew that when Connecticut moved back into the Big East. But UConn looks every bit the powerhouse that they used to look like under Jim Calhoun. Back with those Mecca Okafor, Josh Boone teams where they had really imposing bigs. And that's going to be a problem for Seton Hall, but teams like Providence, DePaul, um, Georgetown, you have to you have to beat these teams. I mean, I look at the rest of the league, and Marquette looks pretty good, Butler looks pretty good, St. John's looks pretty good. I mean, it's hard to say where Seton Hall is going to fall because if Seton Hall is not going to score, I don't know how many games are going to be able to to win. In the '60s, it's it's just there. It's it's hard. It's it's hard to predict until I see more offensively. But the two keys, the two catalysts for getting Seton Hall in the direction they need to go offensively are Kadari Richmond and Dre Davis. And I think the more you see them on the floor together, the more you see that five that I stated earlier on the floor together. I think the more offense you're going to see from this team, and it's going to be really important moving forward. Now, Seton Hall opens up. Big East play, obviously, Saturday at home, and then they're on the road for two games before they're back home against St. John's. Now, it should be a good crowd, 12-30 game. I think they're expecting a lower bowl sellout, and this is a game that Seton Hall really needs. They have a little momentum now, finishing conference play. It, was, it looked really bad a couple weeks ago after the ESPN invitation of those last two games, and then going on the road to Kansas, which is never easy. And then how that Lincoln game started, it looked it looked ugly. And it looked like the trains were completely falling off the tracks. But the train the train isn't off the track yet. I mean, Seton Hall was able to go 
to Rutgers in which nobody expected them to win. They were about a 10-point underdog. They went into one of the hardest buildings in college basketball and pulled off a win. And that should give them confidence moving forward that if they could beat Rutgers, they should be able to beat Providence. They, they can beat majority teams in the league if they're able to beat a team like Rutgers. That should be their mindset. But they're obviously going to continue and have to continue to improve offensively. The offense is going to be a work in progress, it seems like, all season. But as I stated earlier, it starts with everything starts with Kadari Richmond. This team, if it's going to go anywhere, is going to be on Kadari Richmond. The whole dynamic with him and the coach is interesting because you see how hard Holloway coaches him. And, and like I said earlier, it's hard to get a read because Richmond doesn't really show much emotion. It's hard to get a read. For how he's going to take it. But for this program, they need Kadari Richmond to fully buy in. And they need Kadari Richmond to stay for the future. Now, talking about the future, real fast. Gene Holloway had a very interesting quote. Adam Zagoria had asked him after the Drexel game something about recruiting. And Shaheen Holloway said, he goes, recruiting is nowhere near what it used to be. He goes, now it's all about what I can give the kid. Which again, it's harping on name, image, and likeness. Which is going to be a hurdle for Seton Hall to overcome. And Shaheen Holloway is being very open about it. And he stated earlier, after I believe the first or second game, in an interview with Gary Cohen, they were asking him, and Holloway was saying the importance of even being able to recruit his own players on his team to stay and not leave. And that guy, Kadari Richmond, is the guy who, to me, is a concern. Is Kadari Richmond going to leave? If he's not able to get the continuity down with the coach, I mean, it's interesting because when Shane Holloway played for Blaney and Amaker came in, Holloway had issues with Amaker, but he decided to stay. And as I said earlier, some kids can take being criticized and coached hard. They can take that constructive criticism. Other kids can't. So it's going to be interesting to see how this dynamic continues to unfold throughout the year. But at 8-4 and four, with two Quadrant 1 wins... This is not as bad as I thought it was going to be two weeks ago. And again, as I stated, it was unrealistic to expect Gene Hall in his first year at Dixie and Hall to be 16. My expectations before the season were for Seton Hall to be a bubble team. I thought they had enough talent coming back with a solid coach and a solid coaching staff in place. And I didn't think the Big East was going to be as good as it was, though. But I think the Big East is a little bit better than I thought collectively. Um, but my expectation was for Seton Hall to be about a bubble team. And they still have the opportunity to do that. They're 8-4 they're and four with two quadrant one wins. The Big East is going to present them with, with opportunities. They're obviously going to have to finish over 500 in league play, which isn't going to be easy. But there's still a lot in front of this team. It's just a matter of guys buying in. This is also super important for the future because, as Holloway said, it's pivotal for him to even be able to recruit his own guys to come back. So if there's issues within the locker room, I mean, Holloway, you know, he keeps calling his players out, not specifically by name, but in his post-game press conference again last night, he brings up immaturity with his upperclassmen. It's not that hard to read between the lines and figure out who that is. Why Why did Trey Jackson and Kadari Richmond not play versus Lincoln? Why was Kadari Richmond no longer starting? I mean, he played well coming off the bench against Rutgers and against Drexel. He's going to be inserted back into the starting lineup with the injury to Femio DeCali. But if you're reading in between the lines, the message specifically, in my opinion, and, and, and I could be wrong, is about those two players. But, it, but if you really look into it, both of them were out against 
Lincoln. Kardari Richmond, they said, had an illness. I was watching him on TV laughing. On the, if he was sick, why would he be sitting on the bench next to other players where he could potentially get sick? To me, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's just reading in between the lines. And for the success of this team this year and for the next year or two, because recruiting is going to be difficult for this team with NIL until something for Seton Hall comes in place or the NCAA somehow regulates this a little bit, it's really important that Kadaria Richmond somehow buys in and Holloway is able to get him to buy in for this year and for the future. But with that being said, the Big East play is finally here. It's a great time for college hoops. Seton Hall has a big one at the Rock. We need a big crowd Saturday, 1230. Hopefully Seton Hall gets that big win to start off conference play 1-0, and let's go Pirates.